from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus. There with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by, watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. Soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Well, one of the criminals who was hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The sermon this morning is entitled The Crossroads of Blindness and Truth. Would you please pray with me? Now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Stop. Back up a little. Just over there, between those trees, can you see him? Those are the whispered words you could easily hear when driving slowly through a game park in the African bush. Someone in the car sees something, so you stop, back up a bit, and look to where they're pointing, but all you can see is leaves and bush and branches. It looks like there's nothing there. Then... With the slightest twitching of an ear, he suddenly comes into view. A silent and majestic kudu bull, or maybe a giraffe, or maybe even an elephant. At first you couldn't recognize him, even though he was right in front of you, hidden in plain view, as it were. 
Now, if you've never had that experience before, which really is quite different from Bush Gardens or Disney's Animal Kingdom, let me share a few pictures of what I'm referring to and see if you can spot what is hidden in plain view. That's a kudu bull. Can you see him? What about these? Can you see it? A giraffe, if you look to the right of the picture, you see him? You see him? What about this one? What about this one? Look carefully. Can you see it? The lion waiting to pounce on an earlunt. Look carefully. Anybody see it? I'm just kidding. There's nothing there. (laughs) I was just messing with you. But talking about camouflaged animals, here's a picture of our cat, Fizz. Now that's what you call a highly evolved creature. (laughs) The reward for which is that he gets to nap on the bed all day long. Hidden in plain view. I wonder how often that happens in our lives how often we look at something without really seeing it, without recognizing what is right before our very eyes. It happens with people all the time. We can look at them without really seeing them. It certainly happened with Jesus. He came embodying a tremendous truth, the truth about who God really is and what God is really like. But there was a blindness in those around him. They couldn't see that truth. They couldn't recognize what was being revealed before their very eyes. The question today is, will we? Will we? Will we see Jesus for who he really is and everything that he reveals about God? Or will he remain hidden in plain view for us too? You see, friends, in a very real sense, we are all standing at the crossroads of blindness and truth right now, especially on this Palm and Passion Sunday, which marks the start of Holy Week. You see, as we journey through Holy Week, the familiarity of the story can easily blind us. We've heard it all before. We've seen it all before. We know, don't we, that Jesus died for our sins. And so we can look with tired eyes at the events of this week without really seeing, without really seeing him. Without recognizing the truth that he brings, not just once upon a time, long ago in a land far, far away, but the truth that he brings to us right here, right now. And we don't even know we're missing it. 
That's the nature of blindness. You can't see what you cannot see. But thankfully, we have a guide. It's the gospel writer, Luke, who says to us, stop, back up a little, just over there, between those palm branches, between those trees. Can you see him? Luke is pointing us to two scenes from the life of Jesus that are described in our scripture readings today. Two very public scenes, two very public spectacles, in fact. By their very design, they were intended to be seen. The first was Jesus' entry into Jerusalem at the start of that final fateful week of his life. Make no mistake, this didn't happen by coincidence. This was a dramatic piece of open-air theater, rich in symbolic meaning that Jesus had carefully planned. The text suggests that he had made prior arrangements to borrow a very particular cult, even to the point of devising a password for his disciples to use when they collected it from its owners. Just say, the Lord needs it. He told them, which I guess is as good a password as any. The particular cult that Jesus wanted was one that had never been ridden before. In other words, there was something completely unique and authentically new about what Jesus was doing, about the manner of his coming, and what that revealed about God for those with eyes to see. Yes, he comes as the long-awaited messianic king, but the way in which he comes had never been anticipated. Unlike any other king the world had ever known, he comes not to defeat his enemies, but to forgive them. Not to conquer kingdoms through the wielding of coercive power, but to capture hearts through the influence of vulnerable love. He comes riding on a humble donkey that had never been ridden before. And the audacious claim, the scandalous claim that he makes as he he does so, is that this is what God is like. But no one in Jerusalem could see it. In fact... According to Luke's version of the story, it's only the disciples of Jesus who shout out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And even with them, we can't help but wonder if they really understand what they're saying. Certainly the rest of Jerusalem remain blind to the truth being laid bare before them, so much so that Jesus is moved to tears of anguish and disappointment. He weeps over the city saying, if you had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but they are hidden from your eyes. It's not hard to imagine Jesus asking the question, even through his tears, what will it take What will it take for them to see, 
to truly see what God is like. My God, what will it take? And so we skip forward a few days to another very public scene in Jesus' life. You see, there was nothing private about crucifixion. A crucifixion by its very design was a spectacle intended to be seen, to be witnessed. There were, of course, quicker and quieter ways for the Romans to execute their criminals. But when you're a ruthless power occupying another nation's land, plundering its resources and repressing its people, fear becomes a necessary tool to remind those you're oppressing who's boss. And so crucifixion was devised not simply as a brutal means of executing political agitators, but also as an instrument of public intimidation for all to see what happens when the power of Rome is defied. There was nothing private about crucifixion. The crucified was stripped naked and raised up high on a cross in a public place exposed for all to see. It meant that even casual bystanders and passers-by became involved, whether they liked it or not. And so it was with the crucifixion of Jesus. It was a public spectacle, a public death, in which many bystanders and passers-by became involved. There was Simon of Cyrene. He had just come into Jerusalem from the country, an innocent bystander minding his own business. Talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time, or was it? For suddenly he was seized and forced to carry Jesus' cross, and he was involved. There was the centurion. He was just following orders, doing his duty. It was, of course, a messy business, but it had to be done. The screaming was the worst. Sometimes late at night, he would hear in his dreams those agonizing screams as nails tore through flesh and he would wake up in a cold sweat, his heart pounding like a hammer within him. That's just how it was when you drew the short straw for crucifixion duty. But this crucifixion was different. Never before had he heard the words of forgiveness spoken over him by someone he had crucified. Never before had he witnessed such a trusting surrender to death. The centurion stood beneath the cross and heard and saw these things, and he was involved. Then there were those two criminals. They'd been waiting on death row for their sentence to be carried out, never sure which day would be their last. When the order was given for Jesus' crucifixion, the captain of the guard must have thought that this was as good a time as any to deal with them as well. After all, if you go into the trouble of doing one crucifixion, you might as well do three. And so suddenly these two criminals were being led out with Jesus, and they were 
involved. In fact, they become key characters in Luke's account of the crucifixion, representing as they hang there, witnessing the crucifixion of Christ. They represent the two primary responses to the crucified Christ that each of us can make. They become living embodiments, as it were, of the paths of blindness and truth that confront each of us at the cross. And the essential difference between them was what they saw, what they recognized in Jesus. The one criminal said, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. He remained locked into a perspective that remained convinced that the messianic king would use his power and authority in self-serving ways. And so because Jesus just hung there, bleeding, suffering, dying, this was proof enough that he was surely a fraud because he wasn't doing anything that a Messiah should do. But the other criminal, well, he saw things completely different. He realized that what he was witnessing with his own eyes was precisely how a Messiah should live and die. It had been hidden in plain sight, but suddenly his eyes were opened and everything was revealed. He recognized not only Jesus' innocence, but also his refusal to protest his innocence, his refusal to lash back, his refusal to answer violence with hatred. He recognized that compassion and forgiveness were part of Jesus' essential nature. Hadn't he heard those remarkable words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? And so as he hangs there on his cross, witnessing the crucified Christ, so he recognized that there is a kingdom not of this world that Jesus is somehow establishing, a kingdom of mercy, of forgiveness, of peace. And so he says to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the gracious, merciful, and hopeful words he hears in reply confirms what he had seen with his own eyes. I tell you the truth, said Jesus. Today, you will be with me in paradise. You see, friends, what we see on the cross is what we see in God. As Richard Raw puts it, on the cross, nothing changes in God, but everything is revealed. On the cross, nothing changes in God, but everything changes in us. For on the cross, the truth of who God already is, is fully revealed. A God who does not need to be persuaded to forgive, because forgiveness is part of God's 
very nature. It's the free gift that God longs to lavish on us all if only we could see it. And so this Holy Week we come. A cross is raised before us that we are invited to gaze upon. As we do so, the question that we must ask is this. What will we see? What will we see about God? What will we see about Christ? What will we see about the truth of who God really is? And so let me close with an old story that was often told by the Bishop of Milan about an angry young man who one day walked into a church went up to the priest and said to him, I don't need your God. If that is so, said the priest, then I challenge you to walk up to the crucifix at the front of the church, take a good long look at it, and then say to the crucified Christ, all this you did for me, and I couldn't give a damn. So the young man marched up to the crucifix, looked up at it and said, all this you did for me. And then he stopped. Again he tried, all this you did for me. And he stopped again. A third time he said, all this you did for me. But he couldn't say a word more. For in that moment, as he stood gazing upon the cross, his eyes were opened. It was for him a crossroads moment of blindness and truth, and he saw the truth, the truth of the forgiving love of God in Christ, the truth of that forgiveness, that compassion, that mercy that was breaking through his anger, through his rebellion, through all of his defiance, with the lavish and extravagant and outstretched embrace that declared that he was dearly loved. And as he saw that truth, He was forever changed. The Bishop of Milan always concluded the story by saying, I know that the story is true, for that angry young man was me. Friends, may that kind of seeing be true for each one of us again this week. That as we enter into this holy week, our eyes might be opened afresh and anew to see what is hidden in plain view, to see the truth of who God really is as the crucified Christ makes him known. So I say to you, stop, back up a little, 
just over there, between those trees, can you see him? Amen. Let's bow our heads in a few moments of quiet. Gracious and compassionate and forgiving God. How we thank you for all that you have done. And for the God that you are. We thank you for the gift of your son Jesus. Who came to reveal in all fullness. The true nature of of who you are. The true nature of your love. The true nature of your forgiveness and your compassion and your mercy. We thank you that he was willing to hold nothing back in making you known. Yes, even to the extent of dying an agonizing death upon a cross. And so today as we gaze upon this public scene, and this week as we are drawn nearer to the cross again, We ask that you would open our eyes that we might truly see. And whatever the circumstances of our lives, whatever might be going on, we ask you to to move us from our blindness, the blindness of, of ignorance, the blindness of disobedience, the blindness of of a willful wandering far from the path that you call us to follow. And help us to see afresh. And as we gaze upon the truth of who you are, we thank you for the promise, the good news, that we can be changed and that truly we can be with you in paradise. For it is in the name of the crucified Christ that we pray these things.